You know, when Julie and I were first married, we were living in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. I was a part-time student pastor in seminary. Julie was just beginning her student teaching. And because of our station in life and what we were choosing to do for a living, we found an apartment that was affordable. Now, we came to discover part of our apartment's affordability was found in the fact that it was essentially located at the end of a Dallas-Fort Worth airport runway. (laughs) When we first moved into this apartment, the noise was absolutely deafening. I mean, it was unbelievable. If you just happened to be out in the parking lot as one of these big old jet airliners was making their approach in the DFW airport, they were massive. Most of them were American Airlines flights, and it almost seemed like those big silver bellies. You you could just almost reach up and touch, but then the noise from the engines was unbelievable. But an interesting phenomenon occurred in, in the first few weeks or certainly month or two that we lived there, after a while, we didn't even notice it anymore. It was, just, it was just part of the background noise of our lives, and we didn't even think about it until we would have friends of ours come over to visit. And almost without fail, if we had somebody over to eat dinner, you know, we'd prepare the meal, and they'd come in, and we'd make small talk, chit-chat, and we would sit down and, you know, being in seminary, we'd have a blessing And almost without fail, we would say, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for... And our guests would jump back like there was a tornado. Is that a tornado? Do we need to dive into the bathtub? We're like, I don't even hear anything. What's wrong? And like that noise was unbelievable. And we were like, oh, 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 the airport. No, you get used to that. Don't worry about it. It's amazing how fast... Something so awesome can become so common when we get accustomed to it. You know, prayer is the jet engine of the Christian life. Without prayer, the Christian life don't go. Without prayer, the Christian life doesn't grow. And yet, a lot of times, prayer can become like those jet engines that Julie and I lived in the shadow of. Prayer can become that thing that's there when we need it to take us or if there's a crisis. But for a lot of us, it can kind of fade into the background. We, we know that it's there, but, but we just kind of just use it when we need it. But we rarely, rarely experience it as deeply and as powerfully and as richly as God intends us to. I, I bet if, if I were to ask you this morning just by show of hands, Do you believe in prayer? Most of us in this room would raise our hands and we would join about 90% of Americans who pray in one way or another or at one time or another. There was actually even a survey done in the year 2014 that found 30% of atheists pray at one point or another in their lives. I thought it was fascinating. Another survey said that 17% of non-believers in God actually use prayer and, you know, talk to the universe or something at some point in their lives. So a lot of us pray at a lot of different times. And I will just tell you, in the interest of full disclosure, that what we're describing here and what we're talking about is actually 
the single greatest challenge of my life spiritually to, to develop and to cultivate the kind of prayer life that God intends for us to have. I wonder, for those of us who do believe in prayer, how many of us could say, you know, if you were going to explain prayer to a child, or maybe to a close friend who was not familiar with it, could you have that conversation in a way that really resonated and in a way that helped rather than hurt their understanding and experience of prayer? I, I understand why David wrote what he did in the book of Psalms. In Psalm chapter 86, this particular prayer, this particular song of praise written by King David begins with an urgent plea. Look at what it says in Psalm 86.1. I, I understand this. When he says, bend down, O Lord, and hear my prayer. Answer me, for I need your help. I, I know that prayer. I, that's a prayer of mine. God, bend down and, and hear my prayer. Hear to help. Because the fact of the matter is I need God's help, not just in life in general, but, but in prayer in particular, specifically. And I understand that prayer is how we connect with God. You know, it's said that all great relationships are founded upon communication. I, I kind of think that's only halfway true. In reality, all great relationships are founded on understanding. And understanding requires communication. But you'll notice communication is usually a two-way street. And particularly when it comes to prayer, is it a two-way street? Because yes, we need God to be willing to hear our prayers to help for us to experience the, the peace and the power of God. But it's also imperative that you and I are able to hear from God, that, that we follow not only what David said in Psalm 86, but that we look to the prayer that he wrote down in Psalm 139, Psalm 139, at the very end of that chapter in the Bible, David writes these words. He says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Now, you want to talk about a bold prayer, to ask God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, our creator and maker, to ask God to search our hearts, to, to open up our lives before the presence and the power and the scrutiny of God. How vulnerable, how trusting do you have to be to invite God to search even our thoughts, the stuff that nobody else ever hears? To search us and find any anxious thoughts, any stress or fear or anxiety in our hearts for the purposes of flushing it out of our lives so that we can follow him. When we say, Lord, lead me in the way everlasting, that means that we're hearing, we're listening for the leading of God. Now, when we talk about hearing God, we talk about hearing God to help in our lives, the reality is that that's kind of an abstract concept because most of us will never hear the audible voice of God. Now, if you have heard the audible voice of God, man, that's awesome. I've never heard it. 
in my spiritual imaginations, it's somewhere between James Earl Jones and Waylon Jennings. That's just kind of how my mind operates. I don't have a verse to back that up, but isn't it going to be cool to get to heaven and see what it's really like? But God does speak to us through Scripture. Every single word of the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, is inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. So he's already spoken to us. He's already taken the initiative. If we hear what he says biblically, we also hear from God through godly counsel of, of close, trusted friends who love the Lord more than they love us, who, who know what his word says and know that they will never, ever provide counsel or guidance contrary to scripture. But the fact is also true that within the, the practice of prayer, there, there is a, a, a prompting from God's Holy Spirit in our minds and, and in our hearts as we pray, as we study scripture, as we ask God to lead us, to make us leadable, then we feel and we sense the promptings of his Holy Spirit. And we sense that he is pointing us in a particular direction or to make a choice or a decision along the way. And it's, it's in those leadings that we may not hear a voice per se, but we absolutely hear God to help us. And that's the heartbeat of this series that we're beginning today. As we dive into this, here to help, to experience the peace and the power of that jet engine called prayer. Now, the good news is we don't have to, we don't have to figure this out on our own. Jesus himself taught us how to pray. He taught us how to experience the peace of God that passes all understanding. He taught us how to experience the power of God in and through our lives in this thing called prayer. It's referred to, obviously, as the Lord's Prayer. It's actually mentioned a couple of times in the gospel accounts of Jesus' life in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 6, during his Sermon on the Mount. But then again, over in Luke chapter 11, one of the disciples came to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us to pray. They, they had noticed that Jesus himself prayed, that, that he would withdraw from the crowd and go off by himself, usually very early in the morning before the sun was even up, in order to pray to God the Father. Now for the next few weeks, we're going to really dive into and dig into the, the Matthew 6 version of the Lord's Prayer. And, and the Lord's Prayer may be the most quoted section of Scripture in the entire Bible. A lot of teams and military units have quoted the Lord's Prayer before going into co to competition or combat. I remember when I was in high school, my coach, who was not particularly an overtly practicing Christian man, a lot of times before our basketball games, every time before we would play, he would say, y'all get your prayer. And then he would walk off and kind of look at the X's and O's for the game. We would do the Lord's Prayer, and then he would come back in, and we'd get ready to go out and play. Now, the Lord's Prayer is this incredible example, this incredible teaching that Jesus gave, but embedded in the Lord's Prayer is incredible theology and understanding of who God is and how God operates within our lives through the engine of prayer. If you've got your Bibles, look at Matthew chapter number 6. We're going to read through this. I'm going to invite you to read through this with me out loud. 
This is something we're going to do as we go through this, because what we want to do in the time that we have left today, we've only got about three hours left in this service, and so I'm just kidding. I was seeing if you were paying attention. But I do want to very quickly go through the Lord's Prayer as a whole and just make a couple of notes, but we're going to really dig in on the opening line of the Lord's Prayer. But let's read this. We're going to go out of the New International Version. You may be used to the King James Version of this particular prayer, and that's cool, but we'll have the New International Version here on the screen. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Let's read this out loud together. Here we go. This then... This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, some of you are thinking right now you've been cheated. You're like, whoa, 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 preacher boy, what about, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory, amen. And I get it, you have not been cheated, but that is a doxology that was later added onto Matthew chapter 6 for the purposes of corporate worship, so that when churches would recite the Lord's Prayer together, they would then conclude it with that doxology. The word doxology just means a word of praise, a word of worship. Logos is a word, and doxos meant worship or praise. So when it says, thine is the power and the kingdom and the glory forever, amen. That, that's just a word of praise. So that's why it's not included in most early manuscripts of the Bible, and that's why it's not included in this particular translation. It doesn't change the meaning of the Lord's Prayer, but it's just an add-on for corporate worship back in the day. So when we talk about our Father who is in heaven, it's very important that each one of these things, that we understand how to use them in our practice of prayer. Check this out. When he says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. What Jesus is saying there is, number one, pray humbly. Assume a posture of humility and pray humbly. If you're from Houston, you pray humbly. But whatever the case is, you humble yourself before God, our Father who is in heaven. Now, we're going to come back to this and, and kind of camp out here in a little while, but I just wanted to introduce that by saying you begin from a position of humility by praying. Number two, give us this day our daily bread. Pray daily. Pray daily. This is a consistent, concerted effort to get to know God, to pray daily, and to ask of God everything that you need. This is part of how God has wired up the world and how he wants to connect with us relationally, that we come before him. Again, Jesus did this on a regular basis. He would withdraw from the crowd. He would withdraw even from his closest friends and spend time with God one-on-one, -on -one, just connecting with God through prayer, daily doing it. Part of the power, part of the peace of prayer is found in its consistent practice to 
regularly go to God. You know, Julie and I have, have enjoyed 27 years of wedded bliss. Now, I know some of you have been married longer, and you're kind of like, rookies. Others of you are like, 27 years? That's like forever. With the same person, yeah, the same person. And part of, part of why this thing still works so well is the consistency of our relationship. The fact that we have learned how to consistently engage. And actually, this is something that was so fascinating to me early on in my career as a husband. The more I listen to Julie, you may want to write this down because this is profound. The more I listened to Julie, the better everything worked. I'm just putting it out there. Now, thank you for that golf clap. I don't know if you know this. Well, anyway, I won't tell you about the Ryder Cup. But anyway, the more I listened, and the more Julie and I learned to respond to, to the little things, it's not the big stuff that will get you in trouble in marriage. It's the little things over time that will help you stay out of trouble in the big things. It's, it's those little things like, hey, honey, come look at this, which, which is usually me. That's kind of my personality. I'm like, you're not going to believe this. Come look at the dogs. They are hysterical. And she's like, okay. Oh, honey, that is great. They're doing the same thing they've been doing for five years. Thanks for sharing that. I appreciate it. But it's, it's responding to that bid. Now, here's what's funny, too. I have found this fascinating. Julie has a tendency to initiate conversation with me as I'm leaving the room. We can be in the same room together for 30 minutes. But when I walk out, she's like, you know, honey, I was thinking. At which point, I'm like, yes, dear. Does anybody else in marriage experience that? Let me just see. Male or, it doesn't matter, husband or wife. I'm so glad I'm not the only one. Y'all are encouraging your pastor this morning. Thank you so much. Now, what I've learned is that's okay. That is not a hill I'm willing to die on. I, I'm just like, you know what? That's just part of her charm. That's, that's cool. And if I ever feel like I want to talk to her, I start to leave the room. But it's, it's, it's consistency in any relationship. Give us this day our daily bread. That's not just about what we eat. That's not just about our needs. That's consistently, regularly going to God in prayer. I, I've, I'm going to go back and pick up. I know some of you are kind of like, I was filling this out, man, and you skipped. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're getting there. I'm coming back to it. Just chillax, Okay. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, if the Lord's Prayer is the most repeated part of Scripture ever, this is the most mumbled part of Scripture ever. Because whenever you're doing the Lord's Prayer in a group, you have to mumble this part to see if we're going with debts or with trespasses. Right? Lord, forgive us our debt passes. We're, gonna, we're just going to see what, which one wins. Well... Let me just give you some background on that. For about 1,500 years, the Roman Catholic Church was the church. That, that was pretty much all there was. And the Roman Catholic tradition used the word 
trespasses to talk about sins. We, we trespass, we, we broach the boundary established by God. Well, the Re- Reformation comes along with Martin Luther and John Calvin et al. And the Reformers, who became the Protestants, decided that debt was a more accurate representation of sin, that, that our sin nature puts us in debt to a holy and loving God. And so they wanted to make sure that they got that point across. And, and the good news is, it doesn't matter. Trespasses or debts, it's the same thing. It's about sin. And, and Jesus establishes this, this incredible, eternal link between receiving forgiveness and extending forgiveness. Between our experiencing the forgiveness of God and our extending forgiveness to each others, to each other. He says, God, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are in debt to us, those who have sinned us, who have wronged us. And so we're to pray repentantly. Pray repentantly. Thank God. Point out any known or living sin in my life. Flush it out of my life and then replace it with your presence. We, we repent of our sin. We, we don't just confess it. We confess it and repent. We turn and move in the opposite direction spiritually. Now, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Jesus is saying, pray defensively. Jesus understood what Paul would write later when he said that we are engaged in spiritual warfare, that we are under attack from the forces of evil, from the evil one, Satan himself. And we need the Holy Spirit's protection, what the Bible calls a hedge of protection. If you go back and look at my journals for the last 25 years, you'll see that when I prayed for Julie and me in our marriage early on and today, I prayed for Emily, I prayed for Joseph, I prayed for Lake Hills Church. The first thing I ask for is spiritual protection spiritual protection. We pray defensively because we know we will be tempted. We know we will be under attack in the day ahead. Now, let's go back and pick up your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is saying in that, in that part right there, pray offensively. Pray offensively that the purposes of God, that's the kingdom of God, would be advanced that it would be promoted, that his cause would be advanced in this world through our lives, but also in our lives. The kingdom of God is the authority of God. So it's not just in the world, but it's also in me, in you. That's where the kingdom of God takes root. So we pray humbly. We pray daily. We pray repentantly, defensively, and offensively. This is how we come to God. This is what happens as we pray consistently and daily. But but very, very quickly, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. That is so, so rich. It is so packed with spiritual significance. And and man, do not miss how important this is because this is where we discover the power and the peace of 
prayer as God designed it, as God desires us to participate in it. Our Father. The first thing that that tells you is that prayer is relational. Prayer is relational. It's not religion. It's not checking off a box on our to-do list and saying, God, give me a gold star on the refrigerator. I did the prayer thing. It is, in fact, relational. Our Father. That that tells us that, that God is relational. Now, as soon as we say our Father, some of us in this room, some of us immediately go to our earthly Father, and it's not a good place. For some of us, our earthly fathers have obscured and clouded our perspective of our heavenly father. And I just want you to know, I get it. I know where that comes from, but I want you to know that God is a good father. God is a good father. Wanting nothing but his best for you by name. He's relational. He's good. He is love. Whatever you believe about God, start with the fact that he is love. And he is a good father. He's a good father. He he wants us to connect. Do you understand what that significance is? That God wants you to connect with him. You know, Julie and I have said for years and years and years, and we believe strongly that One of the best things you can do for your children is kick them out of the house when they're old enough. That that it's it's healthy, it's good for them to move out and buy their own food and pay their own rent, buy their own gas. And for the record, Joseph is still in college. He's, you know, out there in South Carolina at Clemson. Emily has graduated college, is working on her master's, but she's moved out of our house. She lives in an apartment with a friend. She buys all her own stuff and food and all that kind of stuff. And the empty nest is a gift from God above. The empty nest is awesome. I didn't even know that that was a goal to aim for. We might have kicked them out sooner. But every now and then, every now and then, Emily will call and say, hey, can I come over for dinner? I I, want to come over. And I'm like, sweet. I'm grilling something. (laughs) But when your kid wants to come home, when she wants, you just hang out on the back porch. When she wants, a dad grilled steak. Bring it. I mean, leave, but, but bring it for a while. <laughs> this is how God wants us to come to him, to want to connect with him. When we don't need anything, just, just to hang out. Just to say, God, I want to know you better. I want to I show you that I love you. Can you imagine anything that would move the heart of God more than that? That that his child, his daughter, his son might say, my father who's in heaven, 
I want to come home. I want to I hang out. He's relational. He wants you. He wants me. That blows my mind. I know how jacked up I am. And he wants me. He loves me unconditionally. He loves me no matter what forever. He's relational. And prayer with him is relational. Number two, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed, that, 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 that's an old, old word. It's hung on, even to the New International Version. Hallowed means holy. It, it means set apart. Yes, you are our Father. You are relational. You want us, and you are holy and set apart. You are different. You are God, and I am not. You are holy. The holiness of God is so powerful. He is transcendent. We cannot even bear the holiness of God. Moses, when he was on the mountain with God receiving the Ten Commandments, Moses was permitted to see just the glory of God on, on the backside, the Bible says, as God passed by, God protected Moses from his presence. He put him in the cleft of the rock, and Moses was allowed to see just the backside of God and his glory as he passed by. But even with that glimpse of God's glory, Moses was transformed. He radiated the glory of God. When he came down from the mountain, the people who had been down in the valley, who had not encountered God, the people couldn't even look on Moses. He had to wear a veil so they could converse. This is how transcendent, how holy, how set apart our God is. So yes, we come to God relationally, and we come to God with a sense of awe and wonder. I can't believe what, and I've told you, as we write our prayers, as I journal my prayers, there's got to remain a sense of awe, like, I cannot believe that the King of kings and the Lord of lords, our Father who is in heaven, who is hallowed and holy and set apart, wants to hear from me that these words I'm praying are going to the heart of God. That is a staggering reality. I've shared with y'all before that when I was in college, I got really into like the, the singer-songwriter thing. And I still am. I'm, I'm fascinated. I, I love and appreciate the talent that it takes to write a great song. And it's just amazing. And one of the people I got really kind of into when I was in college was Lyle Lovett. I remember I went into a record store, which is where people used to buy music. I'll explain that to you younger folks later. And, and I picked up an album. Now, an album was a, it was a flat platter-like thing that had music on it. You had to take it home and put it on a record player. And it would spin at 33 and a third revolutions per minute, and the music would come out of the speakers. We were, blew our minds. But anyway, I picked up Lyle Lovett's first album in Sound Warehouse. And when I, I looked, I was like, man, that guy's got some cool hair. 
And I turned, flipped it over, and I saw that Guy Clark had written the liner notes to Lyle's first album and said he was from Texas. I thought, man, if Guy Clark signed off on this guy, he's the goods. He's, he's, he's got it. So I bought, I put the album down. I went and bought a cassette tape so I could play it in my car. And I, and I put the cassette in when I walked out of Sound Warehouse, and I was just like, this guy's unbelievable. The lyrics, the music. Well, fast forward about six months, I was back here at school at the University of Texas, and I went to breakfast by myself one morning, and I walked into a restaurant before going to the library, of course, and that, that really is funny. Those of you who laugh know that that's really funny. But I walked into a restaurant, and the hostess sat me down at a, at a booth, and across from me in the next booth over was Lyle Lovett. And he was there. He was having breakfast with, with a woman, and, and uh, it was a late breakfast. And so I, I was like, okay, so... I'm sitting there eating, and I'm reading the Daily Texan, and she got up to go to the restroom or something, and I thought, man, I'm just going to tell him. So I just said, I said hey, I don't want to bother you or interrupt your meal. I just want you to know I love your music. Actually, you know what? I, I really did say this. I didn't say I love your music. I go, I really dig your music. <laughs> you know, that's how musicians talk to each other. And he goes, he could not have been more gracious he goes, man, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And I said, listen, I, I love your music, but I love what you do with lyrics. The way you combine words and put them together is unbelievable. He goes, man, we need more people like you listening to radio. And he goes, are you, are you a student here? I said, yeah, I'm, I'm, I am. He goes, what are you studying? I'm like, well, Lyle, I'm uh, <laughs> studying communications. And uh, he goes, oh, that's great. What are you going to do when you get out? And I said, well, I'm, I'm feel like I'm called into ministry. I'm going to go into ministry. He goes, man, that is great. That's really, really cool. I love to hear that. That's awesome. About that time, she came back, and they were getting up to leave. I was getting up to leave, and we ended up at the cash register at the same time to pay our bill. It was a very nice restaurant. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, Lyle turns to his companion, and he goes, hey, I want you to meet my new friend, Mac. Well, Lyle, this is so sudden. I didn't know we were friends. <laughs> and, and, and I was so blown away to, to meet a, a songwriting hero. That's, that's the last time I've ever talked to Lyle Lovett. It's not like we're tight. I did, one time I did try to get him a demo of some songs I had written. I had it in an envelope. I was, went to see him at Green Hall, and I was too scared to knock on his bus door. So I, I real quietly stuck it between the windshield wiper and the window on his bus. Wow, call me. I haven't heard from him since then. But anyway, my point is, when you understand that the God of this universe wants to hear from you, you understand the King of Kings the Lord of Lords, the Creator Himself wants to hear from you. The only response is humility. The only response is awe and wonder. And then, here I am. I, what do you need? Prayer is, prayer is relational. God is relational. God is holy. But number three, don't forget this. God is sovereign. He is sovereign. That means that his authority, his power is absolute. 
It is complete. There is nothing in this world beyond the scope and the reach of God Almighty. And what that means, friends, what that means is that God's got this. He's got this. For all of the angst, all of the hand-wringing, all of the stress and the anxiety that we can generate, God's got it. We, we know that he is sovereign, that he causes all things to work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. We know that. But we also know that because of his sovereignty and authority and power, that nothing, say nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Neither height nor depth nor breadth, nothing can separate us from the love of God. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He is sovereign. And so when we begin praying with this kind of a posture, then all of a sudden, that peace that passes all understanding, that power that he makes available begins to make sense. And, and it's, it's in that praying that we access this God who is relational, this same God who is holy, this same God who is sovereign, so yeah, prayer is a jet engine that we desperately need. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a brief moment. We're going to conclude today a little differently than we normally do. But I want to invite you to join a prayer experiment for the next seven days. For the next seven days, we're going to post a prayer guide. It'll be there, I'm going to tell you it'll be there at 5 a.m. You don't have to use it right then, but it'll be there at 5. And I want to invite you to set aside 15 minutes at the beginning of your day. Yeah, morning. Make your coffee a little stronger. Start it a little earlier. But before the day gets started, 15 minutes. The first five minutes is going to be a, a devotional reading something out of the Bible. A time to just kind of center your thoughts and your mind on the things of God, on God himself. And then following that with 10 minutes of prayer. And I want to encourage you to get a journal. Write your prayers down. You don't have to. I'm just telling you it helps. It helps so much. And if you want to go beyond 15 minutes, knock yourself out. Some of us already are doing that consistently. But if you've never done it for the next seven days until we meet again, take 15 minutes to start your day with God. 
Jesus said, this then is how you should pray. But let's not forget that we should pray. And watch the peace and the power of God begin to manifest itself. Begin to reveal itself in, in new and unexpected ways throughout your day. Seven days. Next week, we'll, we'll begin another experiment together. But in this moment, in a spirit of prayer, I want to invite you to stand for a word of closing prayer. If you would just stand right where you're sitting, go ahead and stand up. And we're going to pray together as we go out from this place to be the church. Remember, we're always the church, whether we're gathered or scattered. But let's pray over the week ahead together to our Father. Our Father and our God, we worship you. We lift you up in this place and we thank you for your presence. Your presence promised to us in the worship of your people. Your presence as we've gone to your word to pursue you and to seek you personally and relationally. And God, as we get ready to go out from this place, it is our prayer that you would move as only you can, that you would use us as only you can in the week ahead for your glory and God, for our good. We ask this prayer in the name of Jesus, the one who makes it all possible. Amen.